Good evening. It's November 26th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. Oftentimes, we're able to do that within 15 minutes or fewer. For the next to last time this year, we are convened on a Tuesday night to react to the freshly released rankings from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. And joining us to help me do just that is 24-7 Sports National College Football writer, Chris Hummer. So, Chris, we thought we knew what the committee was going to do here, but they ended up throwing us a couple of curveballs. Uh, I guess, uh, what, what were you most surprised by? I was struck by two things. I think Ohio State and LSU flipping was a little surprising to me. I realize their resumes are pretty similar at this point, but I didn't, at least watching the game, I didn't think Ohio State won that convincingly. I realized they mostly controlled the game as it went, and those fumbles kind of made the game look a little closer than it was. But I kind of expected that 11-point deficit to not be enough to thrust Ohio State ahead of LSU after a pretty dominating win by LSU over hapless Arkansas. So I I think that's a huge deal moving forward, Ohio State being there. I think it's going to be tough to pull them out of that position. And then Baylor jumping into the top 10 the way it did was a shock, kind of given how the committee treated Baylor all year. The committee must have a ton of respect for Texas for them to uh, have jumped Baylor that high. Either that or they finally just readjusted their rankings because they begrudgingly admitted Baylor was good. I think those are the only two options with Baylor being at number nine after kind of being at 14 last week. Yeah, the Baylor moving up for the, for the win over Texas is a pretty convincing win. But man, uh, given how many opportunities the committee had to move Baylor up and declined to do it to this point in the year, to see them do it now certainly raises the question of whether they're just kind of positioning the chips on the board. Uh, perhaps I'm mixing some tabletop gaming metaphors there, uh, kind of getting all the pieces aligned where they want them to be aligned heading into the final week of the regular season and then conference championship weekend rather than I, I so I think, so I think, I, I guess what I'm saying is do they open themselves up for criticism that they are ranking these teams based on something other than how good is the team how good is their resume and that they're factoring in some of these kind of external political considerations into where they're putting these teams. Do you think, do you think that's, that's a fair criticism here? Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know if it's that. I just think it's the committee. Like in my opinion, I don't think lining up the big 12 championship game matters all that much. Otherwise they wouldn't have dropped Oregon to 14 after the loss. I think it's just simply the fact that the committee after 11 weeks of watching Baylor play football, just finally like had to admit the team that has only lost once by three points to a top 10 team might actually be good. That's the only way I can explain it because Baylor has been ranked behind two lost teams pretty much this entire way, even when they were uh, undefeated. I know they weren't ranked behind a lot of two lost teams in that situation, but they were some. And to jump them up this high after beating a Texas team that is not that good. They're six and five. I realized Texas early in the season was a legitimate top 25 team, but it hasn't been that way for a couple of weeks now. And for that to be the win that catapults Baylor up is just kind of confusing to me, given the way we've seen the committee slot them the entire time. If we were going by the committee's logic heading into this week, Florida should have been ranked ahead of Baylor without much question, given their resume, the way they've won and who they've played. But Baylor, I guess, with two top 25 wins and a close loss to a top 10 team, finally impressed the committee by beating Texas. 
Minnesota, another one-loss team that kind of was viewed skeptically by the committee for a while, also moves up two spots from 10 to 8. And it's starting to get, I know, Chris, you have always been on the Minnesota controls its own destiny if it wins out train. I have been a little bit more skeptical, but seeing them at number 8 now tonight, I'm thinking... Huh, you know, okay, I can squint my eyes and see how if you go and beat Wisconsin and then you beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, you're in a pretty good position to sneak in with that number four seed. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much question at this point. That would be wins over Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, as you said. I think if Minnesota gets into the Big Ten title game and beats Ohio State, there's a scenario in which we see two Big Ten teams get in. Um, obviously there would have to be some movement nationally, but you'd have a hard time leaving number one Ohio State out if they lose to what'll probably be number eight or number seven Minnesota next week. So yeah, I think Minnesota's in great shape and given that PJ Fleck uh, inherited a program with a lot of problems three years ago, I'm sure this is all Minnesota could ask for heading into the rivalry game with Wisconsin. Yeah, over the over the final two weeks of the season, I don't think there's a single team here in this playoff mix that has a chance to add two more impressive resume items like in aggregate than uh, number twelve Wisconsin and then number one Ohio State. So it in. This kind of ties into a broader takeaway for me from tonight. And, you know, this is not something I thought for the first time tonight, but I I did think tonight that if you if you consider that maybe the committee values resume over literally every other consideration, some of the things that they've done start to make a lot more sense. The fact that they have Georgia ahead of Alabama, four versus five, that's not an eye test argument, certainly. Uh, The fact that they moved Ohio State over LSU as LSU's win over Texas has weakened throughout the season, and Ohio State has added a a win over Penn State, who's now uh, number 10 last weekend. And the the fact that you've still got Georgia in there, even though you know, kind of a kind of a flawed team. They do have some some impressive wins over over Florida and surely and uh, and Auburn in, in the top fifteen. So I I don't know. What do you think about my theory there? I would um I would agree, but with a caveat. I don't necessarily think it's resume. I think it's wins. Like the wins that you have matter, but. I think there is an example in the case the committee's not following that directive. I think when you're talking about Georgia, their wins, their top 10, top 15 wins matter more than that loss to South Carolina and what they were Mm. in that one moment. And I think we've seen that pretty consistently followed. But I, I do think Utah over both Big 12 teams is an example where the committee is taking the eye test into consideration. Mm. Utah still doesn't okay. have a top 25 win. Utah won't have a top 25 win until they play Oregon potentially in the Pac-12 championship game. Oklahoma comes into the week with two top 25 wins. Baylor has two top 25 wins. Oklahoma has a top 10 win now over Baylor and still ranks behind Utah. So if we're talking about just a straight resume argument, those two teams have an argument to be ahead of Utah. But Utah is pretty consistently ranked ahead of the two Big 12 teams. So I think that's the one scenario we're seeing the eye test kind of holding serve kind of in the larger picture of the playoff race. Let's look quickly at the bottom of the rankings. We had 
Southern Cal move up a spot from 23 to 22. So they're they're they've already played all their games this year. So the the Trojans, after after all all the commotion about Clay Helton, and I get you know finishing 22 is below what Southern Cal's expectations for itself are, but. Kind of fascinating that they've ended up uh, ended the regular season ranked here and still technically in the mix if Utah were to stumble against Colorado uh, for the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, my favorite um, college football scenario this season is Utah losing next week and USC kind of backing into the Pac-12 championship game. I don't think you'll ever see a more annoyed and angry fan base playing for a conference championship than USC that week. I just think the buzz that will come around that would be just so college football in so many levels. But yeah, USC st- certainly still has a lot to say because Utah lost USC without star rusher Zach Moss and that is a quality win at the end of, a quality loss at the end of the day and that's a weird term quality loss, but USC certainly factors into this race and then when you take a little eye left towards the coaching carousel, they have a lot to say there too. So Trojans still relevant even at 8 and 4, so I'm sure the people in Los Another- Angeles thrilled. Yeah, another Pac-12 item here is that Oregon drops from six to fourteen, mirroring how far they fall and how far they fell in the AP poll. And you know, after Oregon's loss, you know, we all understand that Oregon is now out of the playoff mix. But what does their loss mean for Utah's chances to sneak in the back door of the playoff picture here? Because this. Now is following the loss to Arizona State, Oregon is a slightly less impressive team in the committee's eyes. Pretty big fall uh, for this point in the season from six to 14, eight spots. Um, so, I mean, impact here for the Pac 12 title game and the potential uh, push Utah might get uh, to, to get into the playoff. I mean, I think in the context of resume, it matters very little. Beating the number. 16 versus the number 14 team is a pretty marginal difference. Either way, you're beating a very good team at a neutral site and winning a championship. That's important and that matters. But I think when you're talking about a margin of error that's so slim in this case between... In this scenario, we're talking about Big 12 versus Pac-12, but you could also throw Alabama in there. Losing that extra oomph that you would have gotten from beating a top 10 team does matter because more than likely right now, Oklahoma or Baylor are going to pick up a top 10 data point uh, when they play in Dallas in a couple or in Arlington in two weeks. Alabama could beat the number 15 team in the country, a team that beat Oregon this week and make a statement there. So in that way, I do think it matters, but I still think if Utah wins convincingly, or Oregon's ranking isn't going to really matter too much in the context of that. It'll just be how the committee judges their totality of their season versus those other two teams in contention for that fourth spot. All right, Chris, anything else, any other observations you have about this newly released top 25 from the selection committee? Um, Quickly on the group of five slot at the Cotton Bowl. It's interesting how they've stacked Boise State, Cincinnati, Memphis, back to back to back. There's actually a scenario (laughs) where the American, I think the strongest group of five lead by a pretty significant margin, plays its way out of the kind of New Year's Six Bowl consideration because Cincinnati and Memphis play each other this weekend. If Memphis knocks off Cincinnati and then Cincinnati goes back the next week and knocks off Memphis, you could see a scenario where both teams kind of kick themselves out of the contention and Boise State kind of walks into the New Year's Six Bowl. So it's just an interesting storyline to follow with Mm. whoever goes to Arlington for the uh, Cotton Bowl. 
Yeah, with those teams in 18, 19, and 20, kind of continuing a trend we've seen this year where the committee's like, okay, these three to five picks are where we're putting our <laughs> group of five teams. And, and and everybody else can fill in around that. Um, yeah. Uh, also, we had uh, Virginia Tech move into the poll here. Kind of, I mean, you know, five weeks ago, we were talking about, man, is Justin Fuente on the way out of Blacksburg? And here the Hokies are heading into uh, an opportunity to clinch the ACC Coastal against a rival that they haven't lost to in uh, since the George H.W. No, I guess it was the first year of the Clinton administration. Um so, uh, yeah, wild, wild swing for the Hokies. Yeah, great for, great for Clemson. I think this might be the first time a non-Clemson ACC team has ranked this year, which is a pretty incredible run given the conference itself. But Justin Fuente, there are rumors flying around that he still might be heading out of town even with really? this run. Yeah. At least oh, my goodness. His name is connected with Arkansas a little bit. So, it'll be something oh, to follow. Okay. So for the reason, for a good reason. Yeah, for, for a positive I reason. I don't know okay. if it's a better like, job. Anyway, that's a topic for a different yeah. podcast. But um, yeah, great for Clemson. <laughs> attack jumped up the side. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this evening's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help spread the word about this show. Uh, a suggestion of a thing you could do that would be just great would be to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott, Chris Hummer, and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Thursday morning for a special Thanksgiving episode of the College Football Daily. College Football Daily.